in their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homestar Me proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Didi.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Trek West 5. Uh, wait, no, that's not how we do this. Yeah, yeah it is. Good evening, and welcome to Trekless 5. I am Peter. No, uh, we do... Uh, you are? Wait, I'm confused now. <laughs> I mean, welcome Joey. to Podcast 125. <laughs> I announced the podcast number. I don't announce Welcome to Trekless 5. No, you say Trekless 5. Alright, stop this. Good evening, and welcome to Podcast 125. I am Peter. And I am Joey. And, uh, boy, we were really confused about how we started this <laughs> podcast tonight. Uh, none of you have any idea, but just, just know. We, we, we had to go back and listen to our own podcast. <laughs> A so situation we have managed to avoid for so long. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's good to uh, hear from all of you. No, I guess it's just me and Joey. Uh, oh, and uh, we have Aaron over here. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Uh, listener, uh, the intern uh, decided to come down since he's not going to be uh, gaming uh, anymore with uh, role-playing games. Ever again. Possibly, yeah. Probably. Well, he's still going to play the online ones. Okay, well, those don't count. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, everybody had a good week, I assume? Good week, Aaron. Good week, Joey? It was okay. Good week. Uh, I had a really busy week, but uh, for the most part, nothing bad. Nothing okay. bad at all. So, you know. I do have an answer to a question that was asked uh, either last podcast or the one before. I'll allow it. Um, it, it. It wasn't brought up until this week's script book, but uh, there is an answer from Janakos Straczynski here. And yes, to those who've asked over the years, I will finally answer. It was Lita in Garibaldi's quarters. It was not a dream. Oh, wow. That makes things even more creepy. <laughs> awesome! I like that. I'm yeah. really glad that that was the case. And not just to some hallucination on Garibaldi. I, I like that. Well, see, I had always thought it was either a dream, or she was in her room somewhere projecting into his room. But she was actually there, in his bedroom. <laughs> Which was not a possibility that ever entered into my mind. So. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, the, the character of Lita... Took a huge step up in this week's episode. She takes a dark turn. Oh, man, that was awesome. Uh, anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, do we have any announcements to make? No. Uh, we finally sent out the awards for the last couple of podcasts yeah. for the Facebook Find of the Week, so really sorry about the delay and on we that. May, we may still have gotten it wrong because yes. I felt like some of you guys were getting awards that you'd already gotten, but I can't find evidence of it in the sentence. I don't feel like these people should be getting awards at all. <laughs> Uh, only kidding. Uh, anyway, just if you could just let us know if we got it wrong, we'd 
we would love to, you know, make that correction so that you get the a proper award. That's right. And it's on the honor system, so if you're lying, uh, you'll go to hell and Aaron will sit on you. Okay. Is that what? What? Uh, well, <laughs> no, I don't know. He's actually he's like going to go down there and sit on them for us. <laughs> Come on, he's already going to be there. Sorry. That's. Uh, I say that with the, the, the most kindest way possible. <laughs> You're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> with, with all the respect I can muster. You know, I, I mean no disrespect here. Um, okay, Facebook find of the week for this week is Carbonite Man for four terrifying psychology lessons ah, behind famous movie monsters. Ooh, should have been the one about uh, Marty McFly. No. No, you already ex- excluded yourself from winning. <laughs> Dang it. No, the, I watched that video, and it was pretty enjoyable. For those people who haven't watched it yet, be aware there is some language? adult language in yeah. there, uh, to be sure. But I found their commentary insightful. I thought there's some interesting stuff in there. Yeah, yeah really, really quite good. So, uh, good find, Carbonite Man. Uh, congratulations on this most prestigious award that uh, we may or may not award you with correctly. <laughs> That's true. Come on. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be honest. Um, okay. So uh, we have... Brainy's Nook of Darkness? Brainy Smurf. Why the screen is really bright tonight. You want me to turn it down? It, I don't know. I just feel like I might have gotten a sunburn from this <laughs> screen. We can, we can turn it down here. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, by the way, Joey gives me his uh, iPad to use um, uh, for reading these because apparently my um, printers at work don't actually... Print. Print. Uh, but you nonetheless... Know, ac- according to leverage, that means that your company secretly has uh, counterfeit money printing operation running inside the printers. So. <laughs> really? Yeah, in the most recent... Yeah, I think it was the most recent episode. That, uh, that inkjet uh, printer. I, I wouldn't have expected it to uh, have anything more than just the black ink in it. But well, I guess I was wrong. Okay, he begins. Sup, dudes. It's uh, Moneybag's turn to comment on the episodes this week, right? Because <laughs> they've been swapping. <laughs> I thought we were alternating. Things are not very copacetic at the embassy recently. Oh. Squashing rebellions and placating peasants is tough sometimes. <laughs> so sorry for no comments, but this, uh, but on, uh, I, sorry for no comments on the episodes, but. We do have a very Babylonian submission for Brainy's Nook of Darkness. Ha 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 ha, etc., etc. I assumed that meant I didn't have to do it. Okay, since since he's a half-hearted email, you can give a half-hearted <laughs> reading. Got it. <laughs> the last one I did was half-hearted, so I guess why not? <sighs> By the way, thank you, you big jerk, for sending this in. It's got some tough words, words? for me. Yes. Uh, he begins. Huwawa. Brainy will now try to get me to pronounce this as many times as he can. <laughs> and Leal hired this ancient Babylonian guardian demon to watch over his crazy Syrian coastal forest called Cedar Mountain. Huwawa really was really has quite a rich demonic portfolio, as he played a supporting role in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm. Or as Picard would say, Gilgamesh. They fought in the temple. They fought in the streets. I don't know. I, I don't know what that accent was. I tried. <laughs> that was my rendition of Picard. Okay. 
It sounds a heck of a lot better in my head. Like, honestly, <laughs> like tone perfect yeah. to, to how uh, Picard does it. It was not terrible. You can uh, tell you're going for Picard. So. Well, thank you. Thank you. I was channeling the uh, Englishman playing a Frenchman <laughs> in the 23rd century. Or 24th century. Uh, moving on. Although Picard was telling Dathan in Darmok about Gilgamesh and Enkidu... Huawa is the monster whom the two hero dudes united in glorious battle against. Now, many do not realize how totally terrifying the demons of ancient Babylonia were. Huawa was a crazy, intestine-faced, gigantic demon volcano monster. Wow. Yeah. I suppose... Uh, that is a new insult. <laughs> Shut up, intestine face. <laughs> you, got, you just got like big links of sausages going there. Oh, let's say I lost my place now. I suppose that the ancient humans had gruesomely vivid imaginations and a harrowing capacity for macabre. So Huawa is commonly associated with an underworld volcano, and he is described to have a f- giant face of ropey intestine-like material. Coils of terror. He is practically invincible, and his forest, Cedar Mountain, is almost impregnable. So, Gilgamesh had to unleash the cravy, crazy savage winds of Shamash to vanquish the mighty Huawa. Then they cut off his ropey head and brought it home, and the rest of the Gilgamesh stuff then happened. <laughs> Over sausages. <laughs> the disrespectful act of Enkidu chopping off the coily demon head subsequently resulted in Enlil slaying the brother of Gilgamesh to teach him a lesson. Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Joey and Pete. Huawa of Cedar Mountain. Later, dudes. Wait, what? <laughs> are we, are we going to be going out and taking on Huawa later? It's possible. <laughs> You know, we do live close to the mountains, so there are forests up there. There is a Cedar Mountain within driving distance. Oh, excellent. We'll get there in about four hours. Let us go slay a uh, crazy intestine faced gigantic demon volcano monster. All right. Put it in its place. But one of us is going to end up dying. Uh, I nominate you. I, I, I appreciate the nomination, but decline. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Your powers of parliamentary procedure have bested me once again, sir. Uh, okay, well, thanks very much, Brainy Smurf. That's good. I, I didn't know that about the yeah, that part of uh, Gilgamesh. Didn't know there was the rest of the story, as my friend uh, Paul Schaefer would say. Harvey. Yes, I know. <laughs> that was the joke. Why do I see Joey and Pete and the red-shirted intern going up and fighting the monster? <laughs> An excellent suggestion, intern. So Joey's wearing the red shirt tonight. <laughs> no, come here. You are not taking that off. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, okay, let's uh, move on then to uh, Joey's Culture Corner. So we, ha- we have a nice uh, dive into a- ancient Babylonian culture. I'm going to go in the opposite direction and go super pop culture. Uh, Stig Larsson's... Twilight! Nope. Oh. Pretty close. Stig Larsson's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Oh, okay. The American version or the Swedish version? The American version. Unfortunately, I don't know Swedish, uh, so I would have had some trouble trying to read it. 
I guess I could have gone with like a Swedish English. Oh, dictionary. so you're talking about the book, not even the book. Okay, yes, absolutely. I was about to be shocked because like the movie, from what I hear, pretty graphic. The book was fairly graphic. I can believe that the the movie oh, resulted okay. it resulted in a graphic movie. Um, really interesting. The the idea or the premise that he started with when he wrote these books was what would have happened to famous characters from children's literature when they grew up if they had kept those same personality attributes and the two that he uh that he chose are two from famous swedish literature uh Kalle Blomquist and Pippi, Pippi Longstocking <laughs> so the girl with the dragon tattoo of the title is Lisbeth Salander and she is his imagination of what would have happened to Pippi Longstocking as an adult if she had kept the personality attributes she had as a child and had grown up continuing to behave in the same way. And she's become a ward of the state because she's considered... Uh, she had been declared incompetent and things like this. And the, uh, the graphic stuff that you're referring to, Pete, that you've heard about is that she is sexually abused by, her, by the person that she is a ward to. So the person that she has to report to as a ward of the state is sexually taking advantage of her. And it's, I mean, it's really unpleasant. He's, he spares no, no detail in describing the unpleasant things that happen in the book. Um, it was a, a bit of a mystery. I have to say it was probably the first time in a while that I, I read a mystery book and I didn't see the ending coming right away. Uh, I, I had figured out some parts of it, but other parts of it eluded me until I think probably about the time that everyone else got it when they were reading the book. Pippi Longstocking is the murderer? Pippi Longstocking is not the murderer. Oh. Uh, anyway, I I enjoyed the book, but I'm not going to give it a thumb up. I'm going to give it a neutral rating because it was pretty graphic. Wow, what has, what's going to... I don't understand. I just feel like maybe you should have given this one a thumbs down. I really enjoyed the book, but because of the graphic nature of it, I'm giving it a neutral rating. All right. A thumb sideways. So, Joey likes filth. Go read The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. <laughs> or unless you're too lazy, just go to the movie and the movie. watch it there. I actually have no idea if the movie is uh, a faithful adaptation. Okay, that's uh, Joey's Culture Corner. All ready, right. Ready to move into episodes? Episodes, uh, here we go. Uh, we're going to cover episodes 17 through 20 of Babylon 5, season 5. And we'll begin with episode 17. Monuments of Fire and Shadow. Nope. Movements of Fire and Shadow. The war with the Centauri escalates when Sheridan orders the White Star to start firing on Centauri ships. Uh, I don't want to tip my hand, but I really enjoyed these episodes this week. <laughs> well, good thing you didn't tip your hand then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, d I enjoyed these too. Um, I don't think I liked the last one. Oh, objects really? in motion. Oh, that's too bad. But I liked the. I definitely liked these. Um, okay, we have the phrase "rules of civilized war," <laughs> and I have never understood this. It's like the Geneva Convention of the future. Look, if it's war. You're, you're into the scorched earth policy, huh? Do, do whatever you want to do. 
Well, it's well, you're trying to gain your objective, clearly. Why are you wringing your hands about, oh, I don't want to be too cruel? Well, that's not, that's not the problem here. This is, this is they're, what they're talking about when they use that phrase. They're talking about a, what we can, I guess we can call a scorched hyperspace policy. The Centauri, the way the Centauri are attacking and the way that they're destroying... By the way, when we say Centauri, we're saying that with quotes. quotes. <laughs> um, the way they're attacking the, the jump gates could completely unravel the entire hyperspace travel system for everyone, everywhere in the galaxy. It could if they get rid of all of them. If they get rid of enough of them. <clears throat> and that, so that what, what they're talking about here is even the Centauri would not benefit... It would it would not be a win. It would be a pyrrhic victory. Yeah, hyperspace isn't going to go away. It's just our ability we be able to, to be get able to, to get into it. Yeah, on a you know, for any ship, because the white stars are still going to be able to get into hyperspace. They can get into hyperspace, but it will destroy the beacon system, and so you'll be able to get in there. You won't be able to navigate. You'll have no idea where you're going. Well, that's what the Democrats would have you believe. <laughs> You think Lockley's a Democrat, do you? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyway, it, it wasn't just that. I, they, weren't they doing something else as well? Oh, no, no, no. This is earlier on when they were doing the mass drivers and whatnot. Okay. I, I just, I don't get it. Why are we sitting around wringing our hands about this? I just... It's whatever the... it takes to win, not be... I, I think so, if you're at war. Okay. Why I, I don't get what what's the difference between you know killing someone through a gun and killing them through some other means? Well, would still with, end up dead. With the with please the, explain it to me. I would like to be wrong. With the mass driver situation, just like with the attack on Centauri Prime, the problem is you are entering into attacks on civilians instead of just attacks on the military. Yeah, but they weren't up in arms about that. Yeah, they were. The main thing it was. Oh my gosh, they're using mass drivers. Right. The reason that they're concerned about mass drivers is because everyone on the planet suffers from mass drivers. It doesn't just target the military. Yeah, I don't know. Move on. Let's move on. Okay. Because uh, you're no fun. Um, I love Lita's negotiation tactics. She, uh, you know, Vera says, I'd like you, Lita oh, yeah, and yeah. Franklin to look into the, the missing Centauri bodies. And Lita says, look, here's my price. That's what it is. You you, you need me. I don't need you. If you're not going to do what I want, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. I really like that she holds the line on this. Uh, you know, I, I've watched a few episodes of the TV show Storage Wars. Or no, not Storage Wars. Uh, what's the one where they go to the pawn shop? Pawn Stars. Okay. And they'll film the people before they go into the pawn shop. And they'll say... Yeah, I'm looking to get about 2000 but I won't go less than 1500 And they'll get in there into the pawn shop, and they'll get $800, and they'll walk out being like, Yeah, I feel pretty good about this. <laughs> yeah, that, that's always been a baffle me. What bugs me about that show as well is they say, Oh, here's my bottom number, but when they say, What do you want to get out of this? They give a number that's even lower than that. Yeah. That, uh, that frustrates me, because there's spineless people going in there not knowing how to negotiate. Um, let's see here. The Earthman Barring Partnership. Um, Veer's whole thing about uh, returning the bodies, which is why he's asking for help, because right. they're saying, 
Look, they're not giving us back our bodies. And there should be bodies left over. Why won't they give them back to us? Right. Uh, which is, they were saying that too about the Drazi. The Drazi weren't, you know, abiding by whatever rules in war there are. There is, yeah. um, and giving back bodies. Uh, apparently some races, or at least we know the Vri, if no one else, have declared themselves neutral in this conflict. He refer- He says, I've got a Vri ship standing by, ready to take you to the Drazi homeworld. And because they're neutral in this conflict, they can, you know, they'll be able to get you to the Drazi homeworld, no problem. So it was interesting to me. I don't know if the Vri are just not part of the Interstellar Alliance, or if members of the Interstellar Alliance are allowed with their sovereignty to say, you know what, we're not going to participate in this war. I'm not, I'm not sure where the line is there, but I thought that was. Are interesting. you saying Vri or Vreen? Uh, I believe it's without the N. Vri. Okay, because I isn't there a race called the Vreen? There might be. Here, let's look it up in the script. <laughs> it wasn't trying to cause trouble. But yes, I, you were. I, I, I really thought there was a race called the Vreen, and if there's a new one called the Vree, then I think they're definitely probably someone who isn't in the, the conflict. It is V-R-E-E, no N. So a Vree. A Vree transport. Now we just have to figure out if there's a Vreen out there. You can go look it up for yourself on the Babylon 5 Wikipedia. Alright, in turn, you're up. Um, okay. So, uh, we cut away to Londo. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Jakar in prison. A bright light happens, knocks them all out, and then Londo is probed. Yeah, an even brighter light that shined on him, one that's so bright it shines clean through flesh. I want that flashlight. I, I would love... To have a flashlight that is so bright it pierces flesh and you can see the skeletal structure. Wasn't that just an x-ray machine, though? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I thought it was just a really bright light. <laughs> it really seemed like an x-ray machine to me. I could be wrong. No, but, I think uh... you're right. I just thought that was a cool idea. <laughs> All right. I, I love bright All right. lights. Everybody, let's get Joey an x-ray machine for his next birthday. <laughs> I think they're easy to get a hold of. So, well, I, No, I don't want an x-ray machine. I want something that I can actually point at you and your skeletal structure becomes visible to everyone in the room <laughs> as a result. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a really cool thing right before you you know ignite into flame. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. Um, okay, there was a line. Oh yeah yeah yeah. It was the the Drazi and the Narn, and uh, this is like right before they decide. Hey, let's just go attack their homeworld. He uses the line. He's like when they're in the conference with Sheridan. They say, what about our revenge? And that's really all that these people have become, Yeah, you know, is still driven around revenge. Which leads me to say that Jakar should have taken control of these people. He well, no, should it was be... the Drazi that was saying, what about our revenge, though? Yes, but it was the Narn who were going right along with it. Okay. And it, it, I gotta think, if Jakar is around... He can help be the better influence to say, no, we are not doing this. Yeah. And the Drazi want to just go off and become these warlike people. Let the Drazi go and do well, that. So here's my question. Do you think there's any chance, I couldn't find anything backing this up in the script book, and maybe it's because no one else has asked. Um, do you think there's any chance that the Drazi are being manipulated by the Drak as well? Because for five seasons, the Drazi have been the galactic joke. 
No one takes them seriously. But all of a sudden, they are warmongers out of the middle of nowhere. I think they were the the lower echelon thug. Okay. They knock down some of the bigger thugs. They can start, you know, prancing and preening around the universe, maybe. Okay. Um, but I, I think you're right. I, there's no reason to assume that the Drock aren't using them as well. I just well. thought it would be it would be crazy if they were actually manipulating both sides of the conflict because they really don't want the war, right? They want this side effect. They want what's going to happen to Centauri Prime as a result of the war. Right. And so I don't think it would be beyond them to say, oh, you know what? We're also doing some manipulation over on the It, on it the would help side. to explain how it is that the... Um, that the Centauri knew that the Narn and the the Drazi were coming after them. Yes. It, it could be a, a plausible reason because when I in the episode itself, as I'm watching, I'm thinking, "Wow, how does he know to send him away just at the right moment?" Yeah, so it's either that they're being manipulated, or there's a mole somewhere in in the ISA. Well, it can't be a mole. This is a this is a well-run organization here. <laughs> there's no leaks. Um, Okay, so anyway, I was disappointed with the whole what about our revenge. Anybody who starts off, you know, their conversation like that with you, get away from those people. They're terrible. They're horrible. Um, let's see here. Lita and Franklin on the Drazi homeworld. And I see they went directly back to the exact same set yeah. that they used, uh, trying to save some money, I'm assuming. Yeah, well, they they it's actually... It's the it's the main corridor of Babylon Five. Is the the set that they're using there? Mm. They just put some extra stuff around the side, cutting it off and making it more narrow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And they, what they do? It's actually kind of interesting. They they shoot it from one angle when they're walking down, and then to make it look like a longer street, they'll flip it around and shoot from the other angle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I realize it's a it's a cheap trick, but it also saved them, I'm sure, thousands and thousands of dollars in set. Could have. No um, Vreen. No, no, the closest the is the. Do you know what the Vreen might be in the Star Trek universe? The okay. closest is the Vindrizi, which is the uh, symbiotic race that took over Marcus's friend. Okay. Okay. Um. Okay. So Lita gets tough on the Drazi guy. She starts pushing herself around psychically. Yep pretty tough and they discover these pods yes shadow tech which apparently are these little things that control devices yeah they'll run a ship for you and so now we have the answer to why nobody noticed when Lanier attached to one of those ships to get some oxygen it's because there's no one on the ship yeah that would be a plausible reason makes you wonder why there was atmosphere in there well I think they just the, the things just run. That's the normal state of the ship, you know, that so has an atmosphere generator. Okay. Um, it's like a car when you turn it on; the headlights are just on. Okay. Yeah, that's a nice backwards like band aid, <laughs> but I still feel like there's something missing there. But uh, actually, they're in the asked and answered when somebody said, "So is this why nobody noticed when Lanier attached to the ship?" Studensky said, "Exactly." You got it. <laughs> that so. was convenient for him. <laughs> Way to answer the question you're asking him. Um, okay, so Delenn and Lanier 
end up adrift in hyperspace. They're yep. attacked as, as they're flying off to Minbar. Um, which seems odd that they're just flying alone, but I guess they're in a White Star, and that was pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think? How did Lita make the Drazi guy kill himself? Did she use telepathy or telekinesis? I would say telekinesis because he's looking at her yeah. and at the gun. Yeah, I he's agree. Because we hadn't had any reason to believe prior to now that she has telekinetic powers. No, she's definitely picked him up. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely something has opened up in her mind. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay, we have the regent. He goes crazy. Yeah. Uh, or has been crazy for a while. Yeah. Um... And then the Narn and the Drazi begin to attack Centauri. Yeah, so let me that's share where, from that's the, where the episode ends. From the script book here. He says, Movements of Fire and Shadow was originally titled The Fall of Centauri Prime Part 1, only, be, only to be changed when there was some concern about whether or not TNT would be able to play them one right after the other. Taken as one entity, they are my favorite episodes from Season 5 because they capture that sense of events spiraling out of control. Whether it was the assassination of Santiago and Chrysalis, the start of the Earth's Civil War and Severed Dreams, or in this episode, Babylon 5 was always at its best when it gave viewers the very real sense that the wheels had come off the story. And here at last is the reason revealed for a five-year arc, the reason that Babylon 5 could not have been done in the episodic style that existed in our pre-24 television environment. You can't create the same sense of dread with a single episode. You can't generate that deep horror in a story by introducing it four minutes into the episode and paying it off 30 minutes later, followed by a by a reset button, and they all laugh, fade, fade to black. <laughs> the dread we feel, the horror, is in seeing the train coming over the course of weeks, months, or even years. It's not simply a matter of a five-year arc allowing for a greater complexity. It's the emotional impact of that story, and it's about creating dread. I just suddenly realized that would have made episodes like TKO be even more epically terrible. <laughs> Is if you had at the end, like, you know, some sort of like, uh, 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 what do you call it? Where everybody just stops and, you know, as they're all laughing, like, ah, and then the freeze frame kind of thing. <laughs> and you got this music, bam, bam, down, down, Like the old Disney, down, down. Disney Channel shows that always ended. <laughs> yes. Every episode of DuckTales you ever watched in your life. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be hilarious. <laughs> uh, I, thought, I thought you were saying, like, if they'd stretched it out over <laughs> months or years. You know, I, here's the trouble with that. I like this because it's more like. Yeah, it's kind of a little truer to life where you drag things out a little bit more. But eh, from another standpoint, it does get dull around the middle. Yeah. And there's there's just no getting around it. Yeah. It is dull. Sure. Okay. Uh, in, in response to the question, why wasn't the beginning of the season more like this? Straczynski said, well, it's kind of what I've been saying all along. The bigger the plan, planned wham, the longer the quiet ramp up has to be. The arc was there when it didn't seem to be. This whole thing started when the raids started to take place, which goes back quite a ways to the beginning of Season 5. And Lita would not be in this position, not this assertive with her abilities, had she not gone through the fire, literally and figuratively, with Byron, whose fate more or less kicked her out of her shell. 
the old Lita would have just gone up to the Drazi home, would never have just gone up to the Drazi homeworld on her own, but the money needed to follow her. But the money, the need to follow her and Byron's dream, propelled her. It was all there. This was the point I was going for with people who were saying the Byron thing was totally extraneous. To get Lita to this point as a character, remember her all Sue tirade as the last time she even got kind of mad, she would have had to have gone through the fire and lose something that meant enough to her to push her to this point. I understand the explanation. The execution of it was terrible. <laughs> Just terrible. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll but I, I agree with them. There is something that has to be the trigger for Lita. There's something that has to do it. Yeah. He, he said people have been saying that the Byron stuff is extraneous. Yes. I thought it was just horrible. <laughs> I wouldn't call it extraneous. It's just horrible, horrible TV. <laughs> and, and the other part of this is, which explanation am I to buy? Uh, is it a slow ramp up or is it the... Yeah, I lost all of my notes, and I had to start over. Well, I, think it's, I tend to think it's really come down to he lost all of his notes and had to start over, and this was the best thing that he could come up with on short notice. This is what he remembers from his notes. Maybe it would have been higher quality. Maybe it wouldn't have been. We, we have no way of knowing. I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say it would have been better. Plus, it wasn't supposed okay. to be Lita. Oh, who was it? That's right. Ivanova. It was, it was supposed to be Ivanova, who yeah. goes crazy awesome then? Yeah. Really? She was the one who was supposed to get, like, crazy... Like, how how were those powers supposed to be awakened in her? I have no idea. I'm guessing the whole... Having sex with Byron? Yeah, well, everybody oh. watching. <laughs> oh. Uh, I, I don't... know. I... If that was the way I could get, you know, uh, powers of telepathy and telekinesis... <laughs> Not I, I, I don't think it would be worth it for you me. You wouldn't sleep with Byron? <laughs> Gross. You wouldn't stare dreamily into his eyes, Pete? With a bunch of people standing around watching you. Although I suppose that would be the thing that would crack my mind. (laughs) Split it wide open, I would become the lunatic. Uh, So gross. Do we have any listener comments this week? No listener comments. We haven't had this for a while, so uh, it's a good thing we brought Aaron along. Aaron, uh, you got no, no shoes to fill or anything, <laughs> but neither Brady Smurf nor Moneybag sent in comments, so let's hear it. What do you got? Uh, the, the <laughs> Sorry, I'm, tr- I'm trying to find you, a way to... You, you know, you have absolutely, you know, summed up all of your feelings with that <laughs> sound. That croak. <laughs> the way I wrote it down isn't the way I actually wanted to express it. Um, <laughs> you wrote that sound down? No. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell that? No, that, that was my brain both trying to read it and st- to stop myself from reading it. So. I found it kind of odd. Maybe this is the, just the first time I've noticed it, but Delyn having the, the conversation she has with Sheridan on the main viewer, isn't that kind of a very personal conversation? Like after they get done with the business of the day, they're like, oh, let's talk about me and you. And like, oh. there's all these Mimbar, or not, yeah, Mimbari? Yeah, just sitting around, and they're all watching it. It just seemed a very odd Agreed. talk to have. Agreed. I don't remember what they said. Wasn't anything, like, intimate. Yeah, well, I don't think it was anything intimate, no, but, but the, still, it was, it was a personal it's, it's very conversation. Much a, oh, I miss you, sweetie, and, you know, it's... You know, I've had phone calls with my wife while I'm in a business meeting, and I 
have a little bit of that conversation and everyone just kind of sits there and tries to ignore okay. the fact that you're on the phone? Yes, but that was when it was just one side of the conversation. Did you have your phone on speaker? And <laughs> no, did didn't. you have, you know, a video of your wife at the time saying it? No. <laughs> but I'm saying, it, it, you know, in a culture where the public speaker phone video conference is pervasive... I don't know that it would be any more weird than me taking a personal call from my wife during a business meeting. Well, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> yeah, you know, your boss has yeah, asked me to talk to you about that. So, <laughs> but, but you, sort of, You've been meaning to talk to me about that for a while, have this, you? This didn't seem I to have be a like problem. A, at the very end of the call saying, yeah, I love you too. Okay, bye. This was like a, you know, sitting down in the middle of the meeting going, so what did you have for breakfast, sweetie? <laughs> Eggs, hmm? Were they delicious? <laughs> I would like you to have that conversation, Joey. As the only one who's married here, it's your responsibility. My wife doesn't eat breakfast. Oh, well, lunch it is then. Uh, okay, uh, anything else, Aaron? No, that's good. All right, I guess from the science, fiction, science fiction rating for me. I really thought this was great science fiction with the, um, the introduction of Lita's souped-up powers. Yeah. And now we've got the little uh, pod things, mm-hmm. the shadow pod things. I'm going to give this a seven. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I also give it a seven. I, I like that it's starting. To, we're starting to see Lita come out of her shell a little bit. We're going to see the character develop over the next couple episodes. Having a really super powerful telepath running around the galaxy is very science fiction. I, yeah, I look forward to what they're going to do with her in season six. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I also gave it a seven. Okay, for television, I am torn on this. I really thought that this was decent acting. I, I, when they went to the Drazi homeworld, some of that stuff was a little... Campy. Yeah, the, silly. But for the most part, like all of the other stuff seemed to be hitting right on. So I wrote a six, but then I was like, oh man, this could be a seven as well. Wow. I, I was really not turned off. By this episode. So you're saying a 6.5? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm going to say 6 for this, um, just because the next episode, I'm absolutely confident on that one. So I, I'm going to say okay. a 6, but I, I did enjoy this. I thought they did a good job. I, I also enjoyed it, but in addition to the Drazi Homeworld stuff, there's the Londo alien probing stuff, which I thought is high camp. I mean... It is classic goofball science fiction, in my opinion, which I don't think goes over well with an, with a, your average television audience. Yeah. I'm bringing it down to a five for that. Okay. Uh, I give it a six. Just because of the, the, the caffeine. Pete wants a high five there. <laughs> you not get that much uh, human contact? You don't know when someone puts you know a hand up by you? you thought you were about to slap him. <laughs> He didn't react in any way. I I, I, I drained that that out of him. That just gets you hit harder. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so terrible. Super Uh, flinching, you know. I I cut you off, I think, with my high five. No, like, like, with all the stuff that happens to him later, they really didn't need this added with Londo. Okay. Uh, The P5 rating is 9.43. Moving on to our next episode... The Fall of Centauri Prime. Sorry, the Autumn of Centauri Prime. <laughs> it should have been called The Fall of Londo Malari. Ah, is this really The Fall of Londo Malari, or is this Londo rising 
to heroic status? Yeah. That's he does. Question. He, he kind of steps in and says, okay, I don't dare let somebody else do this because they'll just let themselves go wild and allow all of this stuff to happen. You know, the, then you, that's when you get another guy like um, uh, Cartagia in there. Yeah. You know, who just is crazy. <laughs> Isn't it more the comeuppance of Wanda Malari? That's what's coming to him. His uppance has come. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Londo rescues Jakar from the, uh, you know, the falling debris. The polystyrene that has been crushing him. <laughs> um, and uh, we have the Drock yeah. show up. Now, I was a little confused about this. The Drock seemed to be a little more stabilized. Then, yeah, I, said, I they, like this version of the Drock much better than Blurry not, Sneaky Dance. They're not all shaky. <laughs> I like the. Did we all agree that that's like the special Drock? Like... <laughs> the one on speed or something? Like he, he's like the just the you know the cousin that you can't get rid of. It's like he's the intern. Where, where's Kevin? You know, <laughs> Kevin. Oh man. Uh, uh, just read from the script book here real briefly. Apropos of nothing, may I be the first to say that the Drock were a bad idea? I didn't like the design, didn't like the characters, didn't like anything about them, and it's entirely my own fault. I was looking for a bad guy race, and I ended up. I'll say it. Recreating Skeletor on a group basis. <laughs> <laughs> well, the original Drock was definitely in the Skeletor range. Yeah. These new guys, I think they're their own sort of beings. I, I don't see Skeletor out of those anyway. Out of the head design? Yeah. Okay. I, I why saw... Skeletor was so powerful. He was in league with the Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that makes the He-Man universe so much different. <laughs> uh, I actually really liked the line, what are we but a shadow of a shadow. I thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's good that he played on that a little bit. I yeah, that. agreed. Uh, and we see that the Keepers seem to be a part yeah. of the Drock. So that's maybe kind of how they're controlling everything. Yep. All right, so my, my question is, and maybe I should save this for the end, what is it that the Drock want? A new now, grant, now, uh, granted, I, I, I get the whole, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, coy with the whole statement, what do you want? <laughs> I, I'm really not, but it does beg the question, is it really just a home world and they're just trying to be devious about getting it? I don't, I don't think that's it. I think well, that... What is it? I, this is, so this is just my own interpretation. I can't point to... Anything from Straczynski, anything that backs this up. But the the Drock are a power behind the throne race. Like as a as a race, they prefer to be in the shadows. Not trying to go for the pun there. They they don't want to be out front. They need someone that they can manipulate, and that's really what they're looking for. They're looking to get the Centauri into the place where they can manipulate the race as a whole for their own ends. Okay, I I understand that. But to what extent? Just because they enjoy being puppet masters? Yeah, yeah, that's that's their racial I, identity. I, I cannot. I I can't. Uh, um, oh, what is the stupid phrase? Buy that? No, not <laughs> buy that. I, 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 I can't comprehend a race that's like that. Hmm. I I see 
what what do they get out of it? I I just don't understand. Well, I think them having like the keepers, they're not a very powerful race. You know, the, the, their only hope is in controlling somebody and then putting them in front of putting the other race in front of them so that, you know, nobody can come at them directly. Okay, but what what do they get just to continue to live in shadow? So no one knows that they're around, no one knows how to get at them, and so they just exist and they manipulate. Well, like, what, where is, where is the enjoyment? Where's the satisfaction for them? What what is it that they you know? What's the well the Drock dream, if you would <laughs> you know like the American dream? What what is it that they're trying to get at? It's this part about the Drock that I just don't understand. I get that they're a bad guy. I get that Straczynski needed a bad guy to manipulate the Centauri and make them go through this arc. I get that. But I'd like to have an understanding yeah, okay. of what the Drock, what, what their well, I think motivation that, I, is. I think they don't really quite comprehend themselves. I mean, it's they were they were a servant race. Yeah, that's true. They, their they, masters they are gone, and they're like, well, what do we do now? Well, we have to be safe, so let's find a race that we can manipulate. I, yeah, I guess Maybe they just haven't reached a uh, cultural identity yet. Yeah, it's just it's just not something that I can identify with. And so I find that difficult. Maybe that's why I want to eradicate them is because I don't understand them. Could be. We don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us. No, I'm not scared. The shifty guy, I was definitely scared of that one. I, I was quoting the Beauty and the Beast Disney movie there, sorry. Ah. <laughs> A fine quotation. <laughs> By the way, that's the best-looking um, Disney princess. Hands down, Belle. Oh. Uh, Hands down, Belle. I, I should keep my opinion to myself here. It, it becomes contentious around my house when I express an <laughs> opinion on that. Well, you're not in your house. But my wife listens to this podcast sometimes. <laughs> oh. Roll the dice a little bit, Joey. Live on the I, edge. I go for Ariel. I, I think Ariel is the best-looking Ah, princess. the underaged redhead, then. <laughs> sicko okay uh, at the end I, I actually I really like the prime minister with the little bit of control that he had of the regent though. you mean I'm sorry yes the regent okay um, with, with what he managed to do I, I, I admire what I admire him I enjoy the actor playing someone who's just on the edge just barely conscious of his actions and what's happening and yet still in the realm of I'm completely controlled and I don't have any true free will in this regard. Yeah. You know, just the the whole constantly just staring off into space and having conversations and the way he moves his fingers. Like, honestly, I really enjoyed what he brought as an actor to that I've got to make this into a video podcast at least <laughs> once. No. No. Without seeing some of the facial expressions you do when you're trying to elicit the, the actor as they portray it. It's... Look, the Facebook find of the week, that's enough for everybody. They don't need to say anymore. Uh, okay. We have Londo saying goodbye to Jakar, and by extension, yes. all of Babylon Five. This is this is a heartbreaking scene for me. I mean, it's 
you know, I, I, I watched this scene this time around, and I thought, how would I say goodbye to Trek West 5? How would I say goodbye to Pete? And, and I tried to kind of put myself in those same shoes. And I realized, well, your death is really the only thing that would <laughs> sate my, my sorrow. So. <laughs> No, just, no, he's right. The, so, the only way I can see him saying goodbye to you is, you may have destroyed me, but the bomb will kill you. <laughs> oh wow! Um, no, it, it it would be hard. You know, it, they have finally come to really become friends through all the weird stuff that happened. Isn't this the the line where? Isn't it, I mean, isn't this the scene where? So, who says the line? I am a better person. I don't remember which one of them, but it is... I, I thought that because I wrote that right before I wrote Londo says goodbye to Jakar. Yeah. Um, and then I wrote power and choices. Oh. Uh, Jakar says that. So he's the one who says that I am a better person. Yeah. I can't, can't remember exact, exactly what it is. They're talking about how like... Oh. Um, Londo says... Well, yeah, but you would have saved me. And Jakar goes, well, yeah, but I'm a better person. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was a funny comment. That's right. I forget. I forgot now. Um, I remember now because I had forgotten. Uh, power and choices yeah. is one of the things that uh, kind of came up. And Londo finally says, I, all of those years I had tons and tons of choices open to me and no power. And now I have all of the power and I have absolutely no choices. no choices left. And what a dismal, sad scene that that is yeah. uh, for him. And I love what Londo, uh, what Jakar then does for Londo in saying, I forgive you. Yeah, I, can, I, I, I can't forgive the, your race as a whole. Yep. My race can never forgive your race as a whole. But you and I standing right here, right now, Londo, I forgive you. And that is a powerful, powerful scene. Absolutely amazing. One of the best, in my opinion, for the entire series. Yeah. It, I, I would have liked to have seen it delivered with a little more emotion. Maybe a couple of tears shed, a little bit more. Uh, but that, those are powerful things for, for Jakar to do that for Londo in that moment of... I mean, Londo basically is resigning himself to destruction. Yeah, and he's doing it for his people because he knows he can't trust anyone else to go into this role. And not even like the comfortable kind of I don't have to exist anymore destruction, but the dragging myself through, you know, my own version of hell for my people. Yes, and Jakar gives him just a little bit. Yeah, um, to to help, and I I think that's a wonderful bomb to to give to somebody. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just point back though that you talked about the conversation or the line you know when I was younger I had no mm -hmm. power and all the choices now that I'm older I have all the power and no choices you know we've talked before about Straczynski's assertion that yeah. saying I don't have choices is making a choice and I'm not saying that Londo's making the wrong choice here but again we see that Londo chooses to perceive that he doesn't have choices Rather than saying, I, you know, I think it's a, I think there's a level of self-deception there. Instead of saying, I have chosen this course, and I'm going to own that decision. I, I don't know. I, I see it as someone who's saying, 
yeah, I still have choices. I could just run away. But the right and proper choice that is to be made, I have but one. And I have to take this one for the good of my people. I think he's at a point where he is matured and he realizes the terrible decision, the terrible choice that he may may have run from at an earlier age in his life. He now accepts because he knows that he has to. I guess I, that's how I choose uh, no, to see I'm, it, and I'm not uh, arguing with you. Yeah, I, I I agree that he's making a very mature and the, and the right choice in this situation. I'm just saying, in his own internal dialogue. Speaking for myself, at least, in my own internal dialogue, when I can realize, rather than saying, I had no choice, if I can tell myself, you know what, it really was the right choice to make, I could have done something else, I could have run away, I could have been the coward, I could have been the failure, but I chose not to be, even though it came at such a steep cost, it is a level of personal consolation to me to make that admission to myself, look, it was a choice. Yeah, it was the only right right choice, but it was still a choice. It, there's a, a level of, like I said, consolation to resign myself to that fate. I, I think that it may have uh, bolstered his own feeling a little bit if he would have internally treated it that way. You know, I'm glad that Shrzynski didn't make Jakar say those lines. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm really glad that he didn't do that. Um, if you're Londo, what do you do? Oh, absolutely. I make the same decision. You you think that you would make the same decision? I, I, I you know, I've said it over and over again throughout my life that I have done in my life. <laughs> you walk bad with things. blood upon your hands. Yes. Other the world. people don't have to. <laughs> you laugh. You laugh. And I, everyone should be laughing right now. And I, there's not literally blood on my hands. <laughs> Says a man with a red shirt. <laughs> But, you know, it, it, it's a statement I very much believe in, that I will take the the ugliness and the pain of the world to shield people that I think deserve shielding. I also always thought that part of what he meant there is that once he becomes emperor, his choices won't be wholly his own. It, he'll have this keeper on him which will be able to force him to make choices. I see what you're saying, but I don't know that he even knew it to that extent yet in that part of the story. He didn't have the Keeper yet. So, I think, as much as it pains me to say, I don't know that I would make the decision that Londo makes. Okay. I would prefer to think that I'm the Jakar in that situation, and Joey, I forgive you for all of the terrible things that you're going to do. Okay. I forgive you. I I really I just don't think that I could make that decision. No knowing what Londo knows, which is I'm going to be the the puppet, the tool for which they're going to bring about such terrible terrible cool. things. I couldn't do that. I, I I don't think I could. Uh okay, let's talk about Delenn and Lanier. Wait, before we get to that letting the keeper just climb up your body. It's at that point that I'm not sure I have the intestinal fortitude <laughs> to just stand it. Like, I would have done everything up, up to that point, but the way Londo just stands there and just accepts it. I think I probably would have tried to fight. I, I'm just saying. I don't know that I would have had the 
the strength of character to just stand there and let that happen. Let, let's just move on, please. <laughs> okay. Let's just move on. The things that are in my head right now should not come out. Um, okay, so... Lanier and Delenn. Yes, Lanier and Delenn. So it's come to the end. They're basically out of breath, and uh, Lanier says, Oh, when, when the beeping becomes a solid sound, that's when they're going to fire at us. And as it gets to that point, he says... Delenn, I love you. Yep. Now, uh, she responds with, I know. Classic Han Solo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then she tries to pretend that it didn't <sighs> no. happen. No, no, no. That's not what she does. The first thing she tries to do is to reenact the moment. Didn't you say something right before we thought we were going to die? What was it that you said? I'm not sure I heard you correctly. Could you repeat it? I, no, she's giving him an out at that point ah. to say, oh yeah, I didn't hear any of what you said. I am insulted I, by I that. I want to punch Delenn for this scene. Yeah, it's the most... If I am Lanier, I'm more like upset about that than I am if... You know, she just basically tries to pretend like it never happened. You know, have, have the decency to accept it and say, it happened. That's so, what it is. Move on. Here, here's what Strelinski says. Along with the pyrotechnics of the attack on Centauri Prime, we should not lose sight of Lanier's revelation to the Len on board the White Star when they think they're about to die and its aftermath. It's a massively painful scene to watch, given that some words, once spoken, can never be recalled. Until this moment, both of them could live in a measure of denial. Delenn, in particular, could pretend not to know what she reveals here that she does know. She could tell herself that she misread Lanier, that he didn't have feelings for her, that he was just a sincere and loving friend. And her attempts to comfort him in the aftermath almost certainly made things even worse for Lanier, who, having at last professed his feelings, now has to live with not just the embarrassment of their context, but also the knowledge that having said those things, they did not change anything. Deep inside, there's no question that Lanier always believed if he ever actually said those words, that they'd make a difference. But he spoke them, and nothing changed, except the hell he inhabited grew one more level deep. Put yourself in that moment, in that feeling, in that despair, and are his actions later in the series really that unexpected? And to be brutally honest, I think Delenn can be seen as being unintentionally complicit in that unfortunate sequence of events. When Lanier tells her he loves her, she reveals that she knows. She knows. From this, and hints we've had earlier, it's clear she's known for some time. Knowing this, should she not have sent him away long ago? Should she not have spoken to him about his feelings, and in an act of utter kindness been sure to kill any vestige of hope he might be entertaining? But she did not do any of those things. She chose not to deal with the situation, perhaps hoping that his feelings would diminish in time. And in that, she was wrong. She's a coward. I think Lanier is in love with the Len, Bill had told me. Be careful what you ask for. Be so very, very careful. <laughs> I don't understand why he says later in the series. We got like four episodes left. Two episodes. Well, left. no, it, from episode eighteen though. Oh yeah, okay. We right. got four yeah. episodes left. Um, okay. Londo gives a very tough speech. Yeah. Basically, inciting his people <laughs> instead of comforting them. Well, like, does really just that digging speech? it in and saying. Oh, we're going to get mean and tough and angry. Well, uh, he's a, we're going to become isolationist. You know, he comes around and says it. 
We're going to shut ourselves off from the rest of the galaxy. We're going to do that. We are alone but united. Okay. Agreed. Okay. But... Right, we're agreed that this is what the United States should be doing. (laughs) If if that's truly (laughs) the case, then why is he sending an ambassador out? Yeah, that's a good point. Again, I know he's doing it to protect Veer. Absolutely, that's what's happening. I get that. But still, they're isolationists. <laughs> Just send him away. Don't make him an ambassador. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Well, I think that perhaps if he just tried to send him away, he might have been stopped. He's finding a way that he can work within the framework of, of what's now controlling him to say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just making him an ambassador. I yeah, think that's a clear I, apology. I, I, I don't think I can buy that, Aaron. Okay. And I buy, I, I'm willing to believe a lot of the crap that you're shoveling out here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, Delenn makes the comment to Londo, I can no longer see the road that you are on. But for me, the road that Londo is on is, is painfully clear. It is a road of unhappiness and misery and personal sacrifice for the good of his people and maybe even to some extent the rest of the galaxy. Maybe. Uh, the last note I have is that apparently Shadow Tech is the Russian nukes of the 2260s. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Okay. Uh, let's see. Who do we start off with? You. Here? You oh, start off. Right. Science fiction rating. I'm giving it a nine. I think awesome science fiction here. Huh. Aaron? Eight. I, I don't get science fiction a, a ton out of hmm. this. Uh, I really don't. Yeah, the, the, the drop stuff. And the keeper, the hyperspace dying sequence, hyperspace dying the Delenn and Lanier out in hyperspace as they're drifting off the beacon. Yeah, not really. No, right. I, I only give this a six. Okay, uh, for television though. For television, I gave it an eight. Really good stuff here. I, I would have liked to, like you said, I would have liked to have seen a little more emotion from Jakar, mm-hmm. and I would have liked to have seen some kind of emotion from. Delenn, Sheridan, and Jakar in that last scene with Londo. I understand Londo can't portray emotion at that point because he's got the keeper on him. Correct. But the other three should have been expressing some kind of emotion. Agreed. Or even, I think Vera was there as well. Yeah. Aaron? Uh, I flipped it. I actually gave this a 9 for TV. Hmm. Every time I watch this, listening to Jakar and Londo talk, it reminds me of like all of like season 1 of just how they you know, just hated each other. And how you know they've they've grown over all these uh, uh, over the five seasons to to be friends. I like the just... I like the montage they do of they show the evolution of Londo's character hmm. as he's thinking back over his past. He's staring out the window. I, I like that it you know it reminded us where Londo started in the beginning of the series. Okay, Pete, your television reading. Right um, I really enjoyed the acting that we got out of this. I, I thought uh, for the most part the story was okay. The Delenn Lanier stuff, I could have left that completely out, and this would have been great. Um, I give this a 7, and the reason I downgraded is because of the Lanier Delenn stuff and because of some of the sci-fi stuff, the, the, the Keeper stuff, that people just be like, what the, why, why is that weird man doing that? What is that spider thing? Okay. I, but it, like, the, the Londo Jakar stuff, once again clearly comes through and claims you know the awesomeness yeah. uh, of what this show could have been so so dramatically well that I, I just love it I, I, 7 for sure 
The P5 rating is a 9.22. Moving on to our next episode, The Wheel of Time. What? No. Oh. The Wheel of Fire? Yes. Garibaldi's drinking finally comes to the surface. Hey, alright. They finally notice that he's drunk. Well, anyway, we find out that Sharon kind of knew all along, but wanted to live in denial. It looked like everybody knew yeah. in that room. Yeah. And I don't know why they just didn't turn that into a proper intervention. intervention. <laughs> why not? Those, Good, are, those yeah. were big back in the 90s. You know, it's when you were realizing everybody was, uh, you know, coked up or <laughs> drunk or high off meth. Uh, the the title of this episode actually refers to Shakespeare's King Lear in Act 4, Scene 7. Uh, I just thought the line was really cool. You do me wrong to take me out of the grave. Thou art a soul in bliss, but I am bound upon a wheel of fire that mine own tears do scald like molten lead. All right, thank you for that quote that yeah. has absolutely no context. Well, go read King Lear and you'll have the context. That book is sealed to me. Uh, okay, Cult of Personality. This is not the first time this has been brought up. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, Sheridan was accused by Garibaldi for this, you know, starting his own cult of personality, turning himself into an icon. And that's essentially what's happening with Jakar. Yeah. Jakar comes home and there's, you know, throngs of people, even more apparently. Chanting his name. Yes. What would you do with <laughs> Jakar's power? <laughs> I, are you asking me? you really me? need to ask this question? <laughs> yes, I am asking you. What would I do with Jakar's power? You, you've, you've become a religious icon of some sort. Maybe not to... Can you, can you not see the troops tromping through the streets already? <laughs> the streets will run red with their blood. It's a good question. Um... I mean, think about it. You, you've managed to write this thing that has changed people's lives. And you know, it's starting to take them down a new path. And they they want to come to you with their questions. They want understanding and guidance from you. They, they are basically saying, I am yours. Command me. What would you want me to do? I certainly don't think I'd walk away from it the way Jakar does I would use it uh, <laughs> go on <laughs> uh, I, I think the, the where, where I'm at right now in my life the thing I would use it for is I'd say you know what let's get let's get a uh, complete turnover in Washington DC we need to get everybody who's a power broker right now get rid of them get them gone and if the streets have to run red with blood for that to happen, then so oh, yeah, just kidding. Oh, <laughs> oh, Bring out the guillotine. Oh. Guillotine, I should say. Uh, no, I, I, I definitely would probably use it as a political platform to you know talk about some of the things that I believe in. So you'd want to use it to run for some sort of office? No, no. I don't want to hold the office. I just want the people who are in power now... Out to be following him. So you want to start picking the power players because that's kind of what you would start doing. Yeah, that would be the that would be the effect. 
So you don't want to have to be the guy that sits in the chair. Oh. You just want to be the guy behind him. Yeah, we, we, we so talked about this back in the West you're Wing. the Drock. I, I, I'm Josh. I don't want to be the guy. I want to be the guy behind the guy. Yes, he's the Drock. <laughs> Sounds a lot like the Drock. Uh, so you would definitely not shun them, not run away from them or hide from them. You would stand up and say, okay, you're right. You do need a leader, and I shall do it. It, it would depend on what I was being lauded for. Uh, if it were for a religious writing like Jakar is going through. It, it's weird because they don't outrightly say it's, it's religious. religious. Right. And it, it's not outrightly political. Yeah. But it seems to be It's sitting, more philosophic, I think. It's, he, it's a philosophy. Uh, agreed. He, he's, a, he's espoused a new philosophy for his race. And that is where I think I would say, yeah, you know, I I'm comfortable with that. I I think I can, you know, I think I could do something good with that. Uh, if it were a religious thing, I would have a hard time because I don't know that I understand my own religion well enough that I'd feel comfortable leading other people religiously. <laughs> in, in my mind, I see Jakar as the Martin Luther King of his people. Okay, and King. Used didn't, it. didn't shun yeah uh, the the adulation the the praise the power that he was given by the people that he was asked to lead he did it he led them that's what I wish Shakar would do yeah I agree I, I don't know in that situation if I would actually take the power or not just because I tend to think I'm a pretty lazy guy and I <laughs> enjoy sitting around watching TV I don't think he can do that and be a Jakar or a Martin <laughs> yeah, Luther King. Yeah. Don't think it can happen. Um, I see why Jakar doesn't, though. Don't you? I, 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 I'm reminded of the Lord of the Rings uh, in the Two Towers, the, the film version, where Lady Galadriel turns down the power of the ring, and you know she's, she sees that darkness in herself. She says, you know, I would be a dark queen, not terrible, but beautiful. Yeah, but you really think Jakar is at that level? I think that you Jakar think he is would go dark. Not necessarily that, but I think Jakar is has become self-aware enough to realize. Yeah, I mean, he even says like I can't they, win. They, with they would this. lose the message, right? I, 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 it would become about me instead of about the message. It would take the fo put the focus in the wrong place. I, I actually disagree with that completely because I think if he gets up there and becomes a public leader, then or at least amongst humans you would then have the detractors sitting there saying oh well he's he's terrible right here he's terrible right here and just constantly tearing him down to the point where people would not think of him as much as an icon okay. whereas riding off into the sunset which he's going to do in the next episode is going to clearly turn him <laughs> into an icon he's going to become the next Jaquan yeah. at that point and for him, Jaquan is the religious icon, the religious leader. How would Jaquan feel in that situation if Jakar was able to meet him? Would Jakar then start to teach, it, re, uh, react to him in the same way well, and well, say, but, "Oh, I please tell me more about the these writings of yours and how you've you know done all of these things?" Sure, I, I think that he needs to accept it. But I think the way he has treated Jaquan throughout the series. He's always been more about the teachings of Jaquan than Jaquan the person. 
Well, that that's just it, though. I, I don't know if there is any sort of statue set up to Jaquan. And isn't Jaquan like 10,000 years old? Uh, a thousand, because it was around the time of the shadows, right? Okay, I thought the last Shadow War was 10,000 years ago. I think it was only... It uh, could be. I don't remember now. Because if it's only a thousand years ago, it's just like in Earth history, it's like, eh, they were still around. I, I don't know. I don't remember. A thousand years is still a long time. I mean, it's okay. We were in the Dark Ages, man. Well, we could have been. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, let me read from the script book here about this. He says, As much as I like writing and seeing my work produced, and as much as I've learned to adapt to being in front of fans, I've never been comfortable being the center of attention. I am by nature shy. I like staying home and writing. I don't go out to parties or dinners. A good day for me is when I don't have to talk to anyone. And I don't trust authority figures or cults of personality. And I'm even less happy about the whole thing when I discover that I am that person. So you can imagine my chagrin when I would show up at a convention and people, nice people, well-intentioned, sometimes even appropriately dressed, would literally fall to their knees or bow down as I entered a room. Yes, it was often done with a measure of humor, but it was still terribly unnerving. Being referred to by someone as the great maker was incredibly odd. <laughs> Having someone come up to me and say, in a voice that could be heard in the next state, you are a god, was usually sufficient to send me fleeing back to my room. I usually made it a point at that to reply to such baseless allegations with, or, with, look pal, if I were a god, I'd have more hair and a deeper voice. I'd have to go online at that point and find someone insulting me just to level out my karmic playing field. Fortunately, such posts were never hard to find. Yeah. So I, I, this I think, podcast I think what we're hearing will is... help keep him <laughs> humble for humble. a while. Uh, I, I think what we're hearing is we're hearing Straczynski's own reluctance coming through the character of Shikar. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Um, okay. I'm not angry with you, but I am disappointed. Yeah, I'd rather have you angry with me than disappointed. That was that's a tough scene. I I, I agree with Garibaldi. There's, but I, I think for me it's the fact that when someone says I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. Not only at that point did you let them down, but they've also elevated themselves to a moral high ground above you, <laughs> and it just becomes not only failure but shame too. <laughs> it's, it's just uncomfortable. Oh man! Have you ever showed up for a meeting both late and unprepared? I thought you were going to say drunk. <laughs> um, boy, if I have, those have got to be incredibly rare. So I, whenever I'm late for a meeting, and I'll, I'll be the first guy to admit, I'm fanatically late. I mean, like, I, I'm the worst person in the world about keeping to a specific schedule. So whenever I'm walking to a meeting or driving to a meeting and I know I'm late, I am preparing that when I walk in the door, I have to have everything perfect because I'm late. And so I can't, I can't be both. I can come to a meeting unprepared, and I can come to a meeting late, but I'm never going to do both. I think the worst is, is showing up unprepared. Yeah. I if you're going to choose one of the two, be late. Yeah. Well, don't be late. <laughs> Just be prepared. <laughs> and if the lateness happens, and it happens. And okay. You can walk in and burst in and say, I'm late. So they have to go in and try to arrest Lita. Yeah. She whole, says, well, there's reports of people leaving Remember Byron written on the walls. <laughs> oh. 
this next little bit with the the whole Lita stuff is it, frustrating. Really, it is. Why Her do arrest? they keep treating Lita like this? Well, in this case, they're right to. They don't have any outright evidence of it. They're not trying to arrest her. They didn't want to talk to her. She yeah. refuses to take the conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That, that's exactly what they were doing there, which is why they then put her in handcuffs. Because they, she, they said, look, if you won't come, we have to arrest you to question you. The police do that in our in our society today, Pete. I, if I just, you're not going to come willingly and answer the question, they'll arrest you. Plus they, they have already tried and convicted her in their own way, right okay. then and there. And I just do not get why in the hell they just continue to keep treating her like this. I, I agree that they treat her poorly consistently, but in this case, in this scene, I think they are doing the right thing. Yeah, I still don't bother. I, I, and I love the, you know, oh, you can't stop one who's been touched by a Vorlon and you see the gun come in from the side. Hey, you're not the only one who's been touched by a Vorlon. Yeah, I, I didn't buy that part of it either. Oh, I loved that. I enjoy that scene. That's actually one of my favorite scenes. Um, I, but, you know, I, I'm with Lockley. She said, my, my point is, just it, she still should be able to psychically know that he is around. She can't control him. I, I'll buy that. But... She should be able to know that well, he is. She is controlling a lot there. of people at that point. I, I I don't buy that. If she is as powerful as I think she is, I, I I'm a, actually a room full of people. I was thinking nothing. of the assassin that we see later on, that he's able to block her just with simple rhymes and math in his head. So I don't I don't think it's that much of a stretch that Sheridan could block his presence there. Hmm. Uh, but I I agree with Lockley. You always 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 kill a threat when you can. <laughs> something that's that powerful you disarm it the minute you get a chance which is why if there's ever a cult of personality of Joey we're going to have to kill him <sighs> I, I think I think but, Sheridan should have pulled the trigger I, I like Lita I feel bad for what's happened to her no, but I, at I, that point he should have pulled that no, trigger no he absolutely should not do that I, I, I disagree okay. with you completely on that no Lita is good they Great. screwed it up she was good. She was good. Even if she's still good now, she's too powerful to be trusted. I, I disagree with that. But okay. then again, I, I think Jakar's going to come through and save her yeah. in, in the next episode anyway. Um, Lockley tells a stupid story. It did not move me at all. About she's trying to con yeah. connect with... Okay. Um, uh, I think that actually was... I think that I think that was a... J. Michael Straczynski story. Okay. I think that was a story from his life that, you know, in, in some way he was relating a very personal event for him. Uh, probably. I mean, he's used so much of his life in, in yeah. these stories, so I, I believe that. Um, I like this line. There is no normal life, just life. I don't remember who said that. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I absolutely agree with that. The whole normal, um, in my mind, I prefer to substitute normal with quiet life. I, I like that better than normal <laughs> life. Um, life is difficult. It's hard. Things happen. Difficulty, sadness, it happens. That is what life is. You have good and you have bad happen all the time, and it's just your responsibility to deal with them in the appropriate fashion. 
and how you deal with them dictates the type of person that you are. Okay. Are you going to curse the world and say, oh, this is too hard, this is too difficult, or I, I deserve my revenge against whatever, or you're going to curl up in a ball and say, I give up on the world, I'm just going to run away from everything. Are those my choices? <laughs> those are some of your choices. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and if you're Londo, you only have the one choice that's ever given to you in life. Uh, but I, I like that line. Uh, so we find out Lita is the telepathic equivalent of a doomsday weapon. Yeah. Yep, that is true. You just skipped over the whole Delenn stuff. Yes, I did. Did you mean to do that? Yes, but if you have something you want to say, go ahead. Well, they make a big deal about, oh man, I told you, this is 101 odds that she could get pregnant. Yeah. So, statistically... He just has to sleep with her a hundred times? Yeah. Exactly! And then it's going to happen! Right? It's not a cumulative thing. <laughs> Look! Statistically, if you're giving out 100 to 1 odds, then do it 100 times, and at least one of those times you will end up pregnant. <laughs> Alright. Um, okay. Next question. You have a choice between wife and baby. I can't answer this. I can't, I can't either. Have you and your wife, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> to protect her, have you guys had ever had that conversation before? No. Is it because you knew it was there, but just it was too painful of a conversation you just did not want to have? No, we've never had to consider it, really. I mean, it's never been... It's never entered into my mind that I might have to make that decision someday. I, watching this episode, it entered into it for a split second, and then it kind of left right, again right away because I just, my wife is healthy. She's had two kids, you know, in, in the medical environment we live in now, it's pretty rare for people to have to make that decision anymore. Right. Agreed. I think most women in that situation would say, make Take sure the, the baby lives. Yeah. I want to do that. I don't know why. That just that seems to be what they do. As the husband, can you even make that decision? Like, how do you reason that out in your mind? Do you say, ah, she was kind of annoying me last week, so, you know what, I choose the baby. <laughs> or do you say, I don't know what this baby is going to be like, but she was really awesome. Let's save her. You know, She's great I, on a Friday night joke night or something. I don't know. I, I don't know how you logically make that decision. But I will say this much. At the risk of alienating listeners all over the planet. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say that as soon as... In fact, I wrote the line down. If I have to choose between the baby and her, it's her. Sheridan says that. And I immediately said out loud, you're wrong, man. I don't know why. I can't tell you what logical... I don't think there is a logical process. There, on a purely gut emotional level, my immediate response verbally was, no, nope, that's wrong. You should choose the baby. I don't know why. I, 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 it's something that I, I've tried... I, I did try to think it through and analyze it, and I just hit a block where I say, 
I can't figure out what my brain is doing there. I, I think it's maybe some sort of Darwinian logic. Could be. It could be a the, genetic the, propagation of the species. Yeah, kind of the, thing. the newest, the youngest, it's the one that will carry on next. This one, you know, is old and is is clearly, you know, natural selection has decided it, it's not to go yeah. on. You know, maybe. It could be something that's, that fundamental. It, that's whatever like it is, that. I can't analyze it very deep. I, I Like I said, I did try. I gave it some effort, and I couldn't get anywhere. I, I thought that if I ever get married, I think that's a conversation I would want to have with my wife ahead of time. I, I Granted, this is the single guy sitting here yeah. who has had zero, zero type of, you know really close relationship with women to have ever even come close to a conversation like that. I, I just think that it's something that we should talk about ahead of time and so that I know what her feelings are like because in my mind, the worst thing that could happen is I make the decision of... And she never forgives you. Yeah. And she's like, you jerk, I wanted that baby to live. Why did you choose yeah. me? I can't be with you anymore. Yeah. That would be worse. Yeah. No, I see your point. And so I think I would want to know ahead of time, honey, what do you want to do? We're in the worst situation possible. I literally have to choose between you and the baby. What do you want to do? I think that's the only way that I'm going to be able to get to sleep at night is to know what she wanted to do well, ahead I can't, of time. I can't say it's a bad idea to have the discussion. I, I'd say that there are other discussions that I think are more critical. Uh, the corporal punishment one, I think is important to have even in the dating phase. When you start to think you might be serious about it. Agreed, yeah. Is she going to be comfortable taking the beatings that I'm going to give her for... Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's not what I was saying. No. No? Spanking children. Oh, oh, the children. <laughs> yes. Uh, by the way, I knew that's where you were. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's a really good point. I, I think there's a lot of those little types of conversations you should be having before you get together. Yeah. yeah. Really uh, Dee and I had that conversation before we got married. And then after we had our first kid, she went back on her answer. I, I, we, <laughs> we both said we believed in spanking if the kid was bad enough, right? If the situation warranted it. And the first time I ever spanked our son, it, it was a fight. Yeah. It was a huge fight. Yeah. You've, you've told me about that before. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we haven't come to a decision uh, finally, but uh, uh, as far as this baby, the, the podcast is concerned, I want you to let me live first. Kill the, po kill the podcast. Okay. If it ever comes down to letting you live or continuing the podcast, I will continue the podcast. <laughs> but we'll always leave a chair for you, like Elijah. <laughs> okay. Um, Lita, once again, is telekinetic. Yeah. We, we see that very clearly here. Um, and she says to Garibaldi something that I found weird. Oh, Garibaldi, I can't get rid of addiction. Isn't that just some sort of mental trigger in his mind? Couldn't he turn that off? There's a chemical dependency to it. Agreed, but couldn't he do what Vester did? Set up a block that says, you're not allowed to drink well, alcohol. So she wouldn't be getting rid of his addiction. She, he, she's just... Yeah, but he then up, can't uh, drink, so... She pr probably is driving it, crazy. Or something like that, where his body's telling him he has to do something, and at the same time... I don't know. If the Psychor has the ability to, as we've talked about, 
reprogram people. Uh-huh. We can't understand why in the world we can't reprogram maybe what, someone. Maybe what who has she an means is just that. Because we know that the Psychor stuff is has a fundamental flaw in it, right? The there's a side effect to it. It's not completely perfect. Maybe what she's saying is, I can't really fix the problem. I could mask it, but I can't, at a fundamental level, fix what's wrong with you. Maybe, but unfortunately, she didn't say that. Yeah. She just says, I can't can't get rid of your addiction. Can't do it. So when I heard that, I thought, that, I thought, oh, she just doesn't have the power. I find that hard to believe. Yeah. You can screw around with people's minds, literally give them a new personality. Shouldn't the new personality, eh, you know, yeah. overcome the addiction, maybe? I see what you're saying. Um, uh, let's see here. I wrote down telepathic accounting. I have no idea what that meant. I don't know. Oh, and is I, it when I said it was you dumb. should have carried the seven. So you, so you should have carried the seven there. That's better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. I laughed at that. I thought that was hilarious. Because she's like, oh, he's doing math to keep me out. Nope, nope, you should have carried the seven. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, the, the she is the telepathic doomsday device, so to speak. Yeah. Which, she, you know, she hadn't unlocked her capacity during the Shadow War, which means how was she going to have that unlocked? I think it was if the Vorlons, and it was kind of a, uh, uh, if we don't, actively repress it, it oh, comes out. I know. The Vorlons were going to get together in some sort of creepy kumbaya and sing a song and hug her, and that was going to release the, her power within her. Isn't that what released her power, is all of the loving songs? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the and we will her and Byron getting it on with people watching. <laughs> I, I choose to believe it's one of those things where, like what Garibaldi does in the next episode, you know, if anything ever happens to me and I'm not sending out a signal once a month to delay it, then this will just automatically activate itself. And everything else is just pure coincidence. Oh, man. Uh, okay, I don't have anything else to talk about. Okay, Aaron, science fiction rating. Five. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm going to only give this a six. Uh, I give the telepathic doomsday device a seven. Yeah, but that's... I don't see anything else that was really bringing this up. Like the whole... The, where she's controlling all the people, and as I said, I love the thing with Sheridan saying, oh, well, you can't control me, because I've also been tested by a world. I, I really enjoyed that, and I give it a seven. Okay. Aaron, for television? Uh, it was okay, but it wasn't as as great as the last one or the next one so I give this a 6 yeah I gave it a 6 as well me too okay we're all in agreement this is a 6 the P5 rating is 8.58 moving on to our next episode objects in motion as old friends prepare to move on into the next phase of their lives they say goodbye to Babylon 5 and to each other Mm. this is sort of like the wrap up episode they're they're not going to jam all of the Oh, so long. Yeah, goodbye. You know, it's they're gonna do it a little bit of time. Yep. Kind of drift things off. I kind of like that. Uh, but I didn't care for this episode super well. Okay. I mean, it, there were some good parts, but nah, it's okay. Um, we have the return of number one. 
<laughs> yeah. Apparently her name is Tessa. Yep, Tessa Holleran. And apparently she never once mentioned what her name was Around to Franklin. Franklin. I can believe that. Even when they were intimate? Just call me number one. Yeah, I, <laughs> granted, I've never really been in that situation much, so I'm not sure if you know one is prone to nicknames or whatnot, but it <laughs> just seems odd that she would continue to make him call her number one, and even in a situation. And, and, and when when, when you're Dr. Card. Love... <laughs> so gross, dude. When you're Dr. Love, I think it's probably best if you don't say specific names. Got it. Okay, there has been a hit put out on Lise and Garibaldi. We come to find out that it's put out by the board of directors for that company. Yeah. Now, this is a part that started to bug me a lot. So, they're apparently one of the top six um, corporations on Mars. But when we had um, Edgar's around... Originally, it was he was one of the top ones on Earth. So, is this just a screw up? This is because Mars is now an independent planet. It's no longer part of the Earth economy. So, Edgar's Enterprises Swap is now completely over to the Mars. So he's not thing. even on Earth at all. That they still have a presence. They still have a presence on Earth, but it is a Mars company now, not an Earth company. Okay, would have been helpful for me if that had been just made like more clear. my my company is Attachment Corp. We are technically a Houston company, even though our corporate headquarters are in Provo, Utah, because we're incorporated in in Houston, Texas, not in Utah. Uh, I like the line from Jakar, where he says, when you leave this cell, these walls will stay behind. How many walls are you going to bring with you? As many as I can. Huh. I, I think that's that, deeply it, profound. That was kind of her response. I agree. I, I think that is deeply profound of... I, I was going to ask you guys, is she in a straight jacket or does she just like crossing her arms? I, that the, is a very good, it looks like she's in a straight jacket. She is. Okay. Yeah, they definitely had her in there. I don't know why they were so afraid of her hands touching them, uh, aside from the whole, okay, when, you know, that's direct contact that we seem to have some sort of conduit into your mind as soon as we touch you. But she's clearly shown the propensity to be able to get into people's minds just without, without without touching them, so I don't know why they bothered. Uh, but yeah, it was a straight jacket. It took me a while to notice it as well, but it was just up around her shoulders, and her things went around, and it tied in the back. It, it was definitely well. So I didn't know if that. I guess I guess what I should have said was, is that a fashion statement or is that a punitive <laughs> wardrobe? <laughs> yeah, she's being punished. Um, so I I, I like that. Jakar is yes, trying to help her get beyond the hatred, the ugly, the anger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Move on. Yeah, like when she, uh, when she makes it sound like she believes that the only reason he wants her to go is because he wants her DNA. He wants her to have. He's a ensuring his child investment. or whatever. And his response is, "Then you know, my idea to bring you along is even more important than I." 
the first reckon, if that's what you believe of me. That's yeah. Uh, the good old assassin pun. You don't know if you're going to get the car or if you're just going to get the shaft as he stabs the guy with the shaft. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. I, I love that Straczynski just can't write an assassin. He just can't do it. <laughs> uh, clearly, you know. And what frustrated me is when when Zach was saying, ah, I wonder what could, why, what could this possibly why, have what is to do with anything? Oh, what is this about? <laughs> What, what, it should have been the other way around. What they should have done is they should have shown how every single crime on Babylon 5, Zack immediately went, wait, so does that have something to do with the assassin? That should have been I'd buy what that was there. Yeah. But they're supposed to be making Zack out to be someone who's like... Capable? Yes. Really good at his job? And yeah. this is not. In no. Any direction that they take this that isn't Zack automatically coming to the idea of, oh my gosh, this is this is about the... Uh, the assassination. Yeah, I, I, I wish they would have sprinkled a few random crimes in and had Zach sitting down going, okay, which of these have to do with the assassin and which don't? Yeah, I like that. Um, okay. What, why doesn't a comlink failing to connect over and over and over again trigger some kind of security alert? I don't yeah, get that. I, I don't know either, but... If you try your password three times on our website and fail, it emails me and says, hey, someone's trying to hack the website. Th- that's only because you built that control in. There's plenty it's of places. Standard. Mm, no, well, not a, not as standard as you would think. There are Aaron a lot can't of get into his Hotmail account now because I couldn't figure out his password last night. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I was trying to get your uh, Swotor password. There are a lot of websites where if you put it in wrong, it does the you know check if you're a computer or not. Gives you the weird shaped uh-huh. letters and stuff. It, that's kind of in the same vein. Uh, I agree that it, that is an intelligent piece of software to build into your systems. I'm just saying, not everyone builds it in. Well, but this is a military installation. Yes, because the military are prone to doing things incredibly intelligent. No, but they're paranoid. <laughs> All right. All right. I, I wrote down this statement. Awesome. They shot the helpless woman. <laughs> Who gets shot in this? Lise. Lise gets shot. Oh, Zach right. pushes Jakar out of the way. Of course, yes. This is going back to the whole, okay, terrible television. You know, the woman gets shot, and she gets shot in the arm, and she's, she's near death. Near death. And then Garibaldi has yes. to choose between her or the life of Delenn's baby. Wait, what? <laughs> that I wasn't in, that part. No, that wasn't in your guys' <laughs> in director commentary or something. Yeah. Huh. Oh, that's weird. I swear that was in the episode <laughs> I watched. He And he chose uh, Lise. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Delenn's baby died. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, okay, so I wrote down this question. Why do they handcuff Lita? And then I wrote right after it, oh, never mind. <laughs> I love the scene, though. Yeah. Was, he's like, do you want to take this off her? And she's just like, <laughs> 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 and, the, and the two security guys kind of look at each other and just shrug. <laughs> I'm glad she didn't do that while we were walking. <laughs> it's good yeah, stuff. If she is so, like, if we're all supposed to be afraid of her, really? We only send 
two security guards to set to to get her off the the place. Once again, I, I, I just not. You don't want to arm her with too many <laughs> puppets. <laughs> and really, I think if you're going to do anything to a telepath, wouldn't you bind their eyes rather than their hands? <laughs> that I like, Aaron. They should have put the sleeper drugs in her. Yeah, I, I mm. agree with that completely. Um, so Jakar and Lida leave the station. Wait, 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 whoa. After she mentions wow. that she liked being handcuffed? Yeah. <laughs> I got that too. I start to like it after a while. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't have any memory of what you're that talking about. That was just about. for Jakar. Uh, so he when, knows what's going on. When Garibaldi goes to interrogate... He wants to interrogate the, the assassins. Yeah. He tells Zach, I haven't asked anything from anybody around here. What? Yeah, I... You're, Are you you're right. kidding me? Out of all of the characters, if you ask any of our listeners, okay, who was the most whiny and needy person throughout the course of the series? I'm pretty sure they all point to Garibaldi. Over and over and over again, we're being asked to forgive this man his flaws. Just that was agreed. Huh. Agreed. My thought was the doctor. Um, okay, so Garibaldi apparently has the dirt on everyone yep. in the boardroom, uh, thanks to number one. And then Garibaldi says goodbye. So here's my question for you, Pete. How do you set up these uh, in case something happens to me? I don't know. I think lawyers are involved at some point. I, I think they have to be because they're the ones who have to be, you know, hold the trust. Okay. But so is that just something I just call up a lawyer and ask him, hey, I want, I want to put a hit out on somebody if something happens to me, and the lawyer's going to just be okay with that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'll get disreputable lawyers, and sure. <laughs> Can you recommend anyone? <laughs> no. Uh, but I, I, I think that... Uh, they just look under even, like mob lawyer in the yellow pages. <laughs> <laughs> even if you did do that, Who's to say that whoever you get to watch over the trust isn't just going to say, hey, you know, I've got this money. Nobody knows about it. I think I'm just going to take an extra long vacation. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really want to know how you, how you set something like that up. I, I have some things I'd like to have happen in case anything ever happens to me. Uh, we have an intern. I don't know why you're Please, not getting Please, my him. death is going to be one of the first things that happens. No, get him to look into all of this. That way he does it off of his computer. It's his IP address. <laughs> you're clean. It's all tracked back to him? Exactly. Okay. all right. Yeah, we'll just have to destroy this podcast. <laughs> Seems an awful waste of the last three hours, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything else. Okay, then you want to give us your science fiction rating? Five. Middle of the road, as uh, far as I'm concerned. I give it a six. I, I don't know exactly what for, but that's what I gave it. Five. I give this a five for television as wow, well. Wow, really? Yeah, I, I, I get all of the you know the sad goodbyes stuff there. I like Jakar and Lita. Everything else, hmm. I didn't see anything stunning out of. They, okay. they made Zach out to be an idiot. Um, we had to deal with another stupid assassin plot. And we have more Garibaldi. Oh, please, can I have hmm. more Garibaldi? Uh, this one tugs at my heartstrings. It's it, we're getting we're seeing the wrap up of Babylon Five here. I'm I'm going to give it a lot of credit for that. I'm giving I'm going with an eight on television. Aaron, I also gave this an eight. In my brain, this wow. is where Babylon Five stops. <laughs> like I cannot remember the next 
two episodes. Oh, you can remember Sleeping in Light. Well, I remember... Uh, no, you don't Lanier. have to remember it right now. The stuff that happens with Lanier, but... Yeah, in my brain, this is, this is you know, Jakar leaving and everything. This is this is Babylon 5's end. P5 rating. 8.56. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801 788 4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.